Welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Here is your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof, a nationally recognized health educator, author of the award-winning book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, and creator of the Talk Puberty app. And welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof. One aspect we don't often consider when we talk to preteens about puberty and other growing up events refers to gender. Truth be told, not all of us were taught about what gender is, as well as other terminology, including what gender-inclusive teaching is about. To help explain some of these concepts, I invited Melissa Pintar Carnegie, founder and lead educator at Sex Positive Families. Thank you so much for being here today, Melissa. Would you mind saying hi to our audience and give us a little bit more of a description of who you are, a little bit of your background? Thank you, Lori. I really, really appreciate this invitation and getting to share this space. Yeah, I am a sexuality educator. I'm also a licensed social worker, So, and I am in the state of Texas. Most of my work is virtual, uh, certainly with in light of the pandemic, but even before the pandemic, I was doing a lot of my work internationally because of the great web that we have and with the help of our social media presence through sex positive families, I teach puberty education to families. So we have family style, gender inclusive classes that allow literally whole families to learn at the same time together about these very human things related to puberty in the workshops that we hold. We were able to do uh, over 60 live workshops over the course of the pandemic, which we learned was really helpful because there were so many schools that were canceling their puberty classes and and lots of virtual learners. And so this really provided an opportunity for young people to get that education that they may have missed otherwise, and then to incorporate their caregivers, their their parents, the adults or adults in their world into that experience to help those individuals recognize their great influence in helping to support young people during this time. So yeah, so I'm very much in in the puberty space. So, so excited to get to talk to you here, but but my background, it's been a winding journey within the realm of sexual health. Prior to doing sex positive families, I worked in HIV and sexually transmitted infections for a little over a decade as a social worker. So I did case management related work, prevention related work, disease surveillance, um, public health follow-up, both at the nonprofit and state government levels. And then in 2017, I just kind of had this this moment of, you know, feeling like I want to do more. And I didn't feel like it was possible in the spaces in those systems. And so I took a brave step away. And that's when I transitioned to creating my own business and my own work. And it really centered around wanting to work with parents and families directly, uh, because I'm also a parent. 
I have three young people in my world. One of them is an adult. She's 22, my daughter. And then I have an 11 year old and a seven year old. Um, so I have two young people that are navigating their puberty experiences and one who's already been through puberty. So getting a chance to share some of the things that have helped me along my parenting journey to raise kids in a sex positive way. Uh, and then also sharing professionally, you know, all of the, the things that I know and, and, and have learned, you know, from both teaching and also working in the field. Wonderful. And thank you again for being here, Melissa. And before we continue, in which I'm going to ask you some questions regarding gender-inclusive puberty education, I need to let you know that I love your website, sexpositivefamilies.com, in which I was told to reach out to you to see if you would put my reference to my book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, and the talk puberty app and the talk before sex app. And truth be told, and I did this in January earlier this year, I filled out whatever form I needed to fill out. When I've received an email, a response saying, yep, we got you. You're on our website. I did backflips. It was like, oh my goodness. I was heard like these products are of value. And so I really thank you. And I wanted to share that with you when we were doing this because that sex positivity, I don't know if a lot of people understand what that's about. And to have somebody like yourself be a support person and want to collaborate like on this podcast, I truly appreciate it. And do you mind even explaining why you titled your business Sex Positive Families? Yeah, I I love this quite well. First of all, yes, I love that we get to collaborate in all of these ways because there are so many approaches and and then just the creativity that we can have. I tell families this all the time. We are so fortunate as a generation of parenting people and caregivers to have so many resources available to help make these conversations less taboo and less awkward and more fun, more engaging than we experienced and certainly generations before us. So finding new books, finding new cool, you know, apps or, you know, digital resource, all the things and podcasts, there are so many ways people learn. And so being able to collaborate on these many different tools has been great. And I'm I'm always referring, I do a lot of one-on-one coaching also with parents and families and caregivers and being able to share your app because that's a really accessible tool for a lot of people in our you know current digital world being able to share these these things just helps it to feel less intimidating and more accessible so thank you for creating those things and happy to help signal boost them but sex positive films i love the question because you know, when we're creating things, there's always like, okay, well, what are we going to call this thing? What, you know, and from like marketing, it's like what's catchy or what's whatever. Right. So I found myself, it was, it was going to, I was looking at family talks. This is, I don't think I've ever told this story before, but I was looking at like family talks as like, that was a, one of the first ideas that I'd had when I was thinking about what this would be. And I, of course, then you look, oh, just, are there other family talks? Does anyone else already have this? What does that look like? And 
but really, and a couple of other ideas came up, but then really I had this like epiphany. I remember I was driving when this epiphany hit me. I said, you know what? This is really about sex positivity and specifically, you know, normalizing uh, sexuality and sexual health and taking that taboo and that stigma out of it. And centering things like pleasure in the conversation because it hasn't been for too long within sexuality education for young people and, and adults. And so sex positivity, that's, that's what this is about. And yes, I'm talking to families. What about sex positive families? Because that's, that's, that's what it is. Like, you know, th that's who we're, what we're talking about here. And yes, there was a mo there was certainly that moment of gosh, that that's a pretty um, progressive, aggressive, like name, you know, uh, putting sex in the name of a business that relates to families and children. Ooh, that's a big, brave thing. But I, it's like, I felt it in my spirit. I remember that moment so vividly. I felt it that this is what I have to do. This is, this is what I'm saying. Yes, this is what I'm saying. And I'm willing to take that chance that not everyone is going to resonate with it. Not everyone's going to agree. Not everyone's going to understand, but I know who I'm talking to. And those, those, my people, those are the people, you know, and, and thankfully I was right. I mean, that was a gut. I listened to my gut so much, you know, nowadays mm -hmm. in my life and in my work. And I'm glad that I did because I don't want to water down the message or water down the reality that this is, this is really what we need. What we need is not, euphemisms, you know, to talk about these things. We don't need nicknames to talk about these very human things. We need to be talking about these topics that relate to bodies and sex and sexuality. And we need to be doing it more confidently and more inclusively, and we need to do it early and ongoing. So that's, that was a brave move, but it, it had a purpose. And it's been cool to watch our community grow literally worldwide, thanks to social media, there are many, many other people out here who resonate with it and believe that this is how they want to do things differently for the next generation. And I think it's so incredible that sex positivity, that, that phrase has become more popular. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm grateful that you mentioned that you listened to your gut as well as it came to you, this thought, because one episode of the podcast is having mindfulness being talked about in which I find that sometimes if you allow your brain to be noticing, slow down, like give yourself that time to sit, to be mindful. And it's not for an hour. It can be from five minutes to 15 minutes. It kind of allows your thoughts to come out or even for you to note your, your thoughts and your feelings. Yet, I find when I do that practice and then I go and maybe I'm in the shower, I'm driving, I'm doing a walk, the best ideas come. The light bulbs, light bulbs hit me in the shower when I'm driving just before bed. And so I keep notebooks pretty yes. much all over the plate, right? And <laughs> sticky notes, my mom retired from 3M. So sticky notes were like a part of our life and visa V markers anyway. <laughs> but we, I, I keep I have to write these things down. I have to put them somewhere. And that helps clear my mind 
for mm-hmm. the creativity. And I don't yes. sit and worry and fester and wonder or or possibly lose an idea or lose a thought. And it, and it is, it's about trust. And I know this is this is kind of going in a direction, but it's so important. And, it, and we talk about it so much in the work that I do with sex positive families is that we often get removed from that trust of our own bodies and our own instincts and the signs and signals that our body tells us at a young age that starts to happen in our cultures. And that's where it becomes less safe, you know, ultimately for, for young people. And so many of us adults, you know, we're, we're gravitating towards a lot of this mindfulness stuff. A lot of it is because we're having to make up for, you know, whatever our experiences were when we were younger that pulled us away from that, our inner knowing and that trust. And so I, if we can, if we can help preserve that for young people, we don't have to teach it when, when we're young, we're, that's a survival. We're, we're, we're built with that ability. It's being pulled away from us is what is taught and what is learned. Um, and so, yeah, helping, helping young people, name their feelings, identify the diversity and the spectrum of feelings and modeling that for young people and being connected to what is our body trying to tell us right now and trusting that, believing that and believing that when others express it about themselves, that's a whole nother topic, but yes. (laughs) Right. Because there's that difference between that mental, that thinking and that feeling, that emotion. So thank you for that. Would you mind explaining, in your eyes, what is gender-inclusive puberty education? Gender-inclusive puberty education is accurate education because it is teaching that when we talk about puberty, puberty experiences and the changes that happen during puberty are actually less dictated by a person's gender Again, how they may identify on uh, relation to masculinity, femininity, or none, you know, boy, girl, man, woman, gender queer, gender non-binary, gender non-conforming, transgender. There's a beautiful spectrum of gender, uh, but all of that is not synonymous with the body parts that each of us were individually born with, the hormone levels that we individually have that fluctuate and change throughout every day of our lives and and their lifespan. And that's really what puberty, the changes that bodies go through relate a lot more to our parts and our functions. And then yes, there are societal, societally influenced elements, social norms, stereotypes, gender messaging, all of that. Those are constructed compared to the things that actually relate to the, the our particular unique biology. And so gender inclusive puberty education allows us to teach the truth that gender exists on a spectrum, identity exists on a spectrum, bodies are diverse and exist on a great spectrum, not a binary. And it allows young people receiving the education to more frequently see themselves reflected in the information they're receiving to see others that may not look like them or have you know the same experiences as they do they can learn about what these other experiences are that fosters empathy that helps them to be less curious in terms of you know I'm going to go seeking out the information because this must be some secret i know when i was growing up in texas 
what I, what little I remember of any kind of sex ed, puberty ed type stuff, we were separated into boy and girl teachings. And I was moved into the girl group and we learned about periods and period products. That's really all I remember from that. So then you're like left with this curiosity. Well, what are, what are the boys learning? What's happening over there? That must not be information I'm allowed to have and vice versa. And then the fact that they're just these two groups, that's already assuming, you know, people's gen- people have to pick a gender side in those uh, scenarios and they're not being given the information that can help them make more informed choices about bodies and relational dynamics and again just these very human things well i can picture some people who are listening in right now they're like wait a minute that was divided by sex so what's the difference here between gender and sex yeah great question and i see you smile when i when i, I ask that <laughs> i know you might have heard like my teeth i don't know if, how great your your mic is but when i smile that that little smile sound yeah So, so I love this. And so many of us are getting this exposure to this education nowadays. Uh, That doesn't mean this is brand new per se. A lot of these concepts are that this is like something people are making up today. We just haven't, we haven't been, a lot of us just haven't been exposed to an understanding around this. But uh, so, so there's a difference between sex assigned at birth and gender. Okay. So when we talk about sex assigned at birth, so when all of us are born for the most part now, and I'll, and I'll be speaking from, you know, a United States lens, kind of a North American lens, it can look different culturally. And we always have to keep that in mind, you know, when we're teaching or talking with people, because cultures have very different ways of approaching the concept of gender at all, if they do. So with this lens, you know, when babies are born, they come into this world with whatever parts they, they come with, right? And we have been indoctrinated into a very binary system of this baby looks like it has a penis, this baby looks like it doesn't. <laughs> if the baby has a penis, then this is a boy. If the baby does not have a penis, if the baby appears to have a clitoris, a vulva, then that's a girl. And then we've There is intersex, right, which is another um, identity in terms of body parts and the diversity of how they may have formed in terms of unique hormone levels that may seem atypical uh, from what male and female have been identified as. It could be the internal organs that uh, may seem atypical. And so if there's any variation, then they can be labeled as intersex. Unfortunately, also kind of little, not long ago historically, but just, you know, more so in the past, it's still happening, but there's a lot more advocacy happening. But there were forced surgeries, you know, that happened to infants and and even, you know, young people whose body parts didn't fit that binary. Uh, and, you know, families were lied to and told, oh, they're, you know, cancer threats and all of this stuff. And so sex assigned at birth is that construct that says people are either male or they're either female. 
uh, or they're intersex. And But more often, the pressure to be either male or female based on these external characteristics, typically, because, you know, I don't, I've not really, not until more recent times have I seen some of my insides, <laughs> my organs, right? Many, and many of that's not happening, you know, in infancy. So it's not even accurate. It's not even the full picture. Then gender, gender is how we may feel about ourselves and how we may express ourselves as it relates to the construct of gender, which is using kind of a masculinity, femininity spectrum. So that's boy, girl, man, woman, or gender non-binary, gender queer, gender non-conforming, transgender. So um, I hope that offers some context. But in any of those things, again, is not the full story and the full. And it, for us, when we teach puberty education, for us to make definitive statements that all boys blank all girls blank, all, you know, again, is not providing an inclusive, accurate lens about what can happen, the spectrum of, of being human. And for you, my sense is that when you talk about puberty, you phrase things a little differently, like typically, and I have this K through 12 training and, and experience of when I talk with children, I say most boys, most girls, and that's puberty education about fifth grade. Yeah. Yet from what I understand for you, you phrase things as people with a penis, people yeah. with a vulva. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People with it's, it's because we're talking about the particular parts and the particular functions, which it's not accurate for us to say that a boy, again, someone who identifies as boy, which is gender, which is something that that person will know and will identify as and is not something that truly someone else can dictate for that person. But that person can be a boy with a uterus. That person can be a girl with uh, testicles. That person can be trans, a trans girl, you know, and, and their body parts. It's not that it it, it isn't... Um, it isn't a direct, you know, link like that and assumptions. Otherwise, yeah, we're, we're making assumptions about another person's body, another person's experience, how another person is navigating this world. And then what that the harmful thing that that does is that it creates erasure, a sense of erasure when a young person's experience doesn't fit this very specifically defined you know, uh, pocket <laughs> of what it means to be a girl, what it means to be a boy, what it means to be trans, you know, what it, and then in this binary way, you don't, you don't even get that. It's just, you're either a boy or you're either a girl. And I can say from my experience growing up, I was not, I didn't conform to those, to gender standards and gender stereotypes. And so generationally I was, you know, I was a tomboy because I was someone who was supposed to be a girl. I'm in air quoting here. I was supposed to be a girl, but I wasn't acting like a girl. I liked sports. I wanted to wear basketball shorts. I wanted to wear baggy clothes. I wanted to wear gym shoes. I did not want to wear makeup. I wanted to play outside. I didn't want to do things that society and my, my home culture was saying that I needed to care about, or I needed to want to do, or I needed to be good at those things were boy things. 
right? And the gender really, norms of this yeah. is what boys are supposed to do. And this is what girls are supposed to do. Exactly. So that's very limiting. It's so mm-hmm. limiting. And what that did for me, just speaking for myself, what that did for me that, that was ultimately, you know, harmful was that it, I spent a lot of time really questioning who I was and thinking that there was something wrong with me, thinking that there must be something wrong with me if I can't be this and and that I'm not. So my sense of belonging was constantly challenged. And that's the insecurity that happens, you know, the chipping away at at a person's confidence during a time when changes already, you know, are just running rampant. And I didn't have family that I could talk to about these things. And so that's a lot of motivation too for the work that I do is trying to help families create these containers where it's safe to talk about these very human things. And it can minimize the chance that a young person could feel like they don't belong or that there's something innately wrong with them. And we see then, you know, suicidal ideations or rates of suicide certainly, you know, being higher in young people who society is saying don't fit in. And I'm really glad that people have written books and you note some of these books at sexpositivefamilies.com. And like, I looked up at my bookcase because there's the book Pink is for Boys. Yes. And then there's Annie's plaid shirt. There's so many great books. And to talk about these gender roles, quote unquote, my air quotes, mm-hmm. going back a little bit to the the terminology for that biology, when I was working with Chicago Public Schools, they had asked me to revise their K-12 sex ed curriculum. And so it was more standard-based with the national sex ed standards, as well as the health education standards, what we use to teach. And we had this discussion about when they start going over the reproductive systems, how were things going to be titled? And I believe it was fourth and fifth grade. It was titled as like the diagrams for most boys and most girls. And then there was a certain time where it shifted to people with a penis, people with Mm -hmm. a vulva. Yeah. And so, and I had said to them, will children understand the terminology? And, you know, we had these great discussions of things. And so to prep for today, I was talking to a friend's daughter and I was like, so what are your perspectives? And she's very much interested in the gender spectrum. And we had this great talk about, you know, should there be more gender neutral bathrooms and everything? I love young people. So I- I asked her the question, Melissa, of, okay, so should we teach things as people with a penis and people with a vulva? And she's like, I don't even know what a vulva is. Oh gosh, join, join the group, right? (laughs) Join the world. And this goes so much back to that conditioning, right? Mm -hmm. And, and the inequities around gender. And so many of us didn't learn about the vulva, the clitoris, right? It's all about the vagina. It's all about the vagina. It's just about the (laughs) pathway for childbirth. That's Mm -hmm. all that we're reduced to if we have these parts. It's not at all like, so, so yeah, people with a penis, sure. They have erections of wet dreams because they're boys and boys are horny. Like there's all these like narratives that get laced into it, but clitorises become erect too. 
they're homologous. They're made of the same erectile tissue as the penis. But we don't learn that because we can't talk about that body part because that body part points to pleasure. And women, girls, people with these parts, we can't let them know that their body is there for pleasure because then they're whores, you know? So there's, there is this ingrained misogynistic patriarchal, you know, uh, toxic masculine, all the terms that nowadays are becoming so normalized, but it's so true that there's conditioning, right. That has those puritanical roots in our society that we are getting brave And I say a lot of thanks to, you know, social media and these ways in which we're able to share information that used to be gatekept, used to be gatekept behind education systems that were very much rooted in a lot of these problematic, you know, and gatekeeping and limiting ideologies that weren't accurate. If we don't know our power, then we continue to stay vulnerable to being controlled, limited. And we keep buying, we'll have to keep buying, right? We'll buy all the things out here that they try to sell us that tell us that our bodies are gross, are weird, are bad, are not normal. So we have to fix them. It's us that's the problem, not the systems that are guiding these narratives. So yes, so back to what you were saying that was being shared. I think that's an excellent teachable moment, but also normalizing the fact that there are so many grownups. I didn't grow up knowing that that there was such thing as a vulva. And so, but why is it important? Why is it important to recognize that? Yes, the vulvar anatomy, you know, it's, it's the external parts and it's made of, of multiple parts. The vagina is the internal passageway, the vaginal canals, internal canal. The vagina is not the outside. And it's important to know that, to recognize the truth about how bodies work and their functions. And they have multiple functions and it is not just about childbirth and, and your menstrual receiving cycle sex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and being and receiving a penis like that. Yeah. So I, I uh, love that. <laughs> a, a fun little thing for you to consider it when I teach and I've taught at the K through 12, every grade. And then I'm currently teaching at the university level. And when we've gone over systems, the internal parts for if you want to call it as most girls or people people with a vulva most students know how to identify the internal parts mm-hmm. more than the external but then for most boys that diagram or people with a penis they can label the external parts not the internal yeah which then leads us lot. into this conversation of why why is it that you don't know all of these parts Right. And that's intentional. That's, we've been programmed. We've been programmed through media, lots of the media messaging that we get uh, that's sexualized, right. And eroticized tells us essentially what, what can we expect from boys or men? What can we expect from girls or women? What are their roles in society and what is okay and acceptable for these two types of people and what is not, right? What will be um, used against them ultimately? What will be celebrated? What opportunities will they have made available to them or limited? And it looks very different within those two binary constructs. 
And then, yes, the internal organs, right? Which I want to, I want to say that, you know, starting early when kids are getting information about where babies come from, you know, there's often the, oh, you know, the baby's in the tummy and, you know, the baby's in the stomach, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's the uterus. Right. But (laughs) because so many people are so resistant to saying uterus, Mm -hmm. it's a a body part. And that is the actual body part that houses a fetus as it's developing. So the fact that there's so much resistance around that and that we we can't even speak, we're not even trained right. to, to speak accurately about body parts. Like, no, no, the cannot develop in a stomach. There's acid there. Yeah, and that's you, it be digested. Right, like, no. <laughs> but, you know, so, so there's so many inaccuracies and limiting information that people with these parts are given with a uterus, with a vulva, with a clitoris, with the vagina, all of that, right? Like we don't, we're not allowed access to that information ourselves being ones that have them. And then certainly people that don't have them, people that don't have them, their role is to be either the ones making laws or decisions about them or, <laughs> or uh, to be the ones that are like, oh, that's, that's gross. That's weird. No, I don't buy menstrual products. Like, so there's, it creates, our society has done a beautiful job of creating adversarial dynamics between these binaries so that there's a, this men and Mars, men from Mars, women from Venus, this like, oh my gosh, we'll never be able to understand each other. And these are the only people that exist. And therefore, if you don't fit in, like, it's just such a sham. (laughs) I know this is like taking the conversation way bigger and more abstract, but it's important to recognize this, you know, as adults that are often the ones making the decisions about the kind of education that young people will have access to, we have to, we have to get caught up to why things have been constructed the way they have, what our own experiences were like learning about these things or not learning about these things, what the impact has been. You know, we have a Me Too movement, you know, in our in our current generation of adults, highly, highly imp- impacted by the fact that there are many people who did not learn about consent, who did not learn about bodily autonomy before it had anything to do with sex, who don't see or value other people equitably and the wants and the needs and desires of other people. That is learned. That is ingrained. Inclusive puberty education and sexuality education as a whole when done well and, and comprehensively and holistically allows us to learn how to be a human (laughs) alongside other humans in ways that are safe, that are kind, that are equitable, that respect the amazing diversity and that allow us to see and know our power and be able to fully step into that. So we can do powerful things and not be manipulated by this external limiting messaging. That's just trying to tell us that there's something just wrong with us and we just need to buy all this stuff. We got to buy the sprays because we can smell better. You know, we've got to get the surgery so that that doesn't look that way because that's wrong. You're not supposed to look like that. It's all lies. 
<laughs> in which what I'm hearing you say is honest education, which mm-hmm. a little side note, those of you that are listening here, not every state mandates medically accurate information for sex ed. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put my administrator cap on right now. And I'm, again, from New York, which was overall more progressive in some ways, yet for health education programs, the one topic that had the most resistance was sex ed, in which even in New York, you would have schools that were abstinence only, abstinence-based, comprehensive. So there's a range of types of programs. And I want to ask you a question But also note that there's this reality that this topic scares people. And sometimes programs are shut down when people are trying to create more positive change. And I know like for the schools that I was so blessed to work in, we talked about stuff. Everybody was in the same room. I was asked at times to do these workshops in which was boys and girls, you know, the separation, which is still very common throughout the country. Mm -hmm. Yet when there's one district that wanted to be more inclusive. And this was even at a younger grade, a few parents pushed back in which because of the pushback, the school decided we're not offering anything. So I'm hearing you say, you know, let's do this gender inclusive puberty education. Yet, how can we do that? Like what are steps that schools or even family members can start helping their schools go step-by-step to do that when there's that risk of a pushback and then, nope, we're not going to teach anything then. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, this is a, you frame the reality very well. And uh, this, and it's happening across the U.S., across the world, certainly, but across the U.S., just in a smaller little bubble that we're in. And then within each state, within each state, each district, each school. So you'll have, you know, private or charter education, you'll have public education all operating, and it could be literally, you know, blocks away from each other, all teaching very different things or some not teaching anything at all when it relates to these things, but yet completely standardized when it comes to math and science that doesn't have to do with human sexuality. (laughs) And then, you know, social studies, all these other things get standardized and are understood and recognized as important for early and ongoing education, but education about humans and how, and and relationally, how we relate to each other, interpersonal communication, consent, all of these things, the gatekeeping starts to happen and the restrictions start to happen. And then yes, from the administrative levels, there's fear, fear of the pushback. So I don't have a, like, there's not like this answer is going to work across every area. But what I believe very strongly and what I have seen through the work that I get to do by reaching families directly is that when we can help parenting people, people that are mentoring, raising young people, we can help them understand and recognize the benefits of early ongoing education and making it inclusive. Uh, When we can help them understand that, they're the strongest advocates truly. They're the ones that can, if their children are, you know, in a school system or the school system that is in their area, that's where those are the voices that these systems will listen to. And so just just as much as you might have a couple of opposing forces and voices, you've also got a good army on the other side, too, that's like, no, I need my young person to understand and know and have access to 
this kind of education. And, and then the, the reality is, is that as young, as, as our amazing young people are fully accepting and embracing the diversity of humans, they're also guiding because if they're then in these homes where their parents are essentially erasing their own, you know, identities or not accepting them, even the most staunch, I, I, I love this, how wasn't it like the, the, they said that the woman that had created the gender reveal parties, the ones that she'd been like the one, the first one that had kind of come up with that or made it public or whatever. Then was it last year, a year before she came forward with the fact that she now, her child is now, I think a tween and is gender diverse. And she's like, yeah, this whole like gender reveal thing, my bad. <laughs> like that this was- actually is not I was going to bring that up because I find some of my former wonderful college students who are well-educated. And when I had them in a class that was very specific about sex education, they were like, yes, all these gender norms, you know, there's so much fluidity. We shouldn't have these specific, you know, this is what a, a male does. And this is what a female does. They're now pregnant. And some of them are doing these but gender reviews. Right. Yeah, they right. want to party, right? We want to celebrate. We can celebrate new life without projecting our right. own, you know, narrative and expectation because of that. But here's I want to say this on that though. So here's here's a, a, a way to work with that, with this. Okay. We're gonna end up gendering a human, you know, even when people are doing the most with this gender gender neutral parenting. There are lots of families who are taking a gender neutral approach while raising young people from birth nowadays, but they still have to step into a world that is very binary. You know, if they go to Walmart or Target or something, they're going to have a boy's section and a girl's section, a man's section, the toys, the clothes, everything, the restroom that you can go into, everything is going to be binary. They're going to have strangers gendering their child. So there's, you know, it's a lot of effort to have to try to switch this culturally, right? We're making our best guess. We're guessing that this child's gender is boy, for example. And we're going to use these particular pronouns that we're choosing to use when we reference this child when we're not using their name. Are we open? The difference is how open are we as this child starts to grow and starts to become who they are and only they know who that is. (laughs) Do we believe them as time moves on, as they tell us who they really are? That's the difference. So fine, celebrate the new life, gender people or gender this child, okay? But how open are you when, when and if that time comes that they tell you their truth? Are you going to hold on to, no, you're a boy, you're a boy. Stop. You know, no, that child knows who they are and we need to believe them. And that's a lovely way to explain it because when I see it, I get so excited that they're excited that they're about to have a child. And at the same time, you see the blue or the pink and it's like, okay. And I do believe though that as they're raising their children, they will be more open-minded to say, oh, no, you know, like, let's travel on this journey together. Which brings me to people that are listening in, what resources do you recommend for people to go to if they want to learn more about gender-inclusive puberty education or gender-inclusivity overall? 
Yeah. So as far as the education component, there's a really great resource that was created in 2019 uh, that was created by multiple leading organizations like GLSEN, uh, Advocates for Youth, Planned Parenthood, SECUS, which are leading organizations in the space of sexuality education and, and gender spectrum is another excellent organization. They created principles of gender inclusive puberty and health education. This is a PDF document that is free. You can download it and it explains what this kind of education looks like and why it's so important, why it's so important that young people begin to receive this and that we start to make these transitions. Uh, but genderspectrum.org, that's a, such a great organization and their website is so well done and comprehensive. And it really walks people through what gender means and how can we raise gender diverse children if that's the case that you know we have a child that is not you know along the binary or not cisgender um and so and it does that with a really you know compassionate and empathetic lens knowing that hey not everyone's gonna just know this stuff so let's you know help start from zero also the gender unicorn is a really great tool I think it's by Transgender Student Education Resources, T-S-E-R. Just you can Google gender unicorn. Gender unicorn is a tool that helps you learn about, teach about identity. So not just gender identity, but sexual identity. So the spectrum of attraction, the spectrum of, of orientation, sexual orientation. Uh, so these are some of some of my favorite tools to, to use. Um, but then, like you shared earlier, there's so many amazing books out there uh, that are being created for earlier and earlier ages that help to normalize the conversations about gender as a spectrum and also video resources that are really great. So there's amaze.org. Amaze makes some really great videos that they have amaze.org slash junior JR, which are for the younger ages. And they've got some that relate to gender. They have some that are for parents to watch. They're inclusive, they're funny, they're animated. So they make the learning fun. And then there's another resource called Everybody Curious, which is a great video series great for the puberty. It's made for tweens and teens. Uh, and it talks about gender and expression. It has an episode on vulva, episode on penis, on genitals, and then also six minute sex ed podcast. These are favorites in terms of helping the whole. And I think it's so important that the whole family, when possible, gets the opportunity to learn together and that adults are not threatened by learning. And the fact that it's not our job to know all the answers. It's not our job to be encyclopedias. Our job is to be available and supportive and to keep the space feeling safe and brave as our young people are navigating these things. So learn with them. If you don't know something, if, if something new is coming your way, get curious. We want to teach that curiosity and model that curiosity for our young people. And another great resource is to go to sexpositivefamilies.com. And how can people get in touch with you specifically? Do they go to that website? Yes. Yeah, we have a contact form on the website. Um, we always welcome that. We also have a very active Instagram. Uh, we actually literally right now are posting about gender inclusive puberty education. And so we, and we have a community of over 250,000 people wow. from around the world who love to engage 
and learn together and who are you know, doing everything they can to raise a powerful next generation. And then we have our gender inclusive puberty education course called Growing Into You. And again, it's family style. So if you're listening and you are family that has a tween um, and typically around ages eight to 12, but it, We've had younger, we've had older, but if you want to take a course together so that again, you can learn and get curious together, then we offer that to families. Wonderful. And I thank you so much for all the information you shared with us today. And it's, it's fun to talk with you. And I really am appreciative. I got to do a shout out to Kim Cook, who put together the Sex Education Alliance in which Melissa and I were connected in that way. Do you have any last points you want to share with the listeners or any last words? Uh, thank you, Lori. I, I just want to reassure that it is not too late. Sometimes families can feel that way. Maybe you're listening and you have a teen. It's not too late to learn something new and to return back to the conversations with your young person and in your family. And Sometimes it requires some vulnerability and us saying, you know, I learned something today or I heard something new today that I wanted to share with you. I realized that we've been maybe using the wrong word for this body part, or I realized that we've only been talking about puberty for boys. And I would love for you to have the information that you deserve to have about more of the reality of puberty for, for girls and for trans young people and for intersex young people and just for, you know, more than just one type of body or person. And so you can always return back to it and engage. So it's really just about being open to that opportunity. And how can people follow you on Instagram? At sex positive underscore families. Wonderful. And thank you again, Melissa, so much for being here. And to our listeners, I thank you so much for listening in. And if you have questions for me, please go to pubertyprof.com. You can also follow me at pubertyprof on Twitter, at Facebook, on Instagram. And I thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you have a happy and healthy day. Thank you for listening to the Puberty Prof Podcast where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Did you enjoy this episode? Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow The Puberty Prof on Twitter or Instagram. The Puberty Prof, Lori Reichel, wants to hear from you. Go to pubertyprof.com or click on the link in this episode's description. There you can find more information, as well as ask questions to be answered by the Puberty Prof in a future episode. That's pubertyprof.com. Also, remember to check out the Talk Puberty app and the book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty. Until next time, this is the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics.